Hey, my name is Nick Ford, and this is the third and final episode of the first series of Derive. Derive is an audio series that sets to educate, explore, and deliver exciting stories about the flow of ideas, trends, or items that we consume in society. The goal of Derive's first series is to follow an Alberta-made pint back to its agricultural roots. In episode one, we spoke to two fellas at Calgary's Last Best Brewing and Distilling about what it's like operating a craft brewery and brew pub. In the second episode, I spoke to Wade McAllister about his family-run farm, Antler Valley Farm. He and I chatted about the barley farming business and what it's like helping supply local brewers so they can make their magic. If you haven't taken a listen to those first two episodes, make sure to go back and have a listen. The first two episodes of Derive and all other information about this audio series can be found on Tumblr at deriveaudio.tumblr.com. Episodes can also be found on SoundCloud under the name Derive. I'm still working on getting onto iTunes. I'll be sure to tell you when this happens so you can easily subscribe. The third and final episode of Derive's first series on craft beer has to do with us, the consumer. We've learned in this series from Phil, Chad, and Wade that Alberta not only has some of the best barley in the world, but maybe some of the best beers too. This episode will attempt to uncover that and hopefully inspire those who choose crappy, yellow, fizzy beers to choose a beer with a story. In the first episode, we learned that Alberta's craft beer game is evolving at a rapid rate. In this first part of this episode, we dissect that with the management from a powerhouse in Edmonton's craft beer scene, Underground Tap and Grill. We chat about beer trends, beer's growth over the last couple of years, and get into a philosophical discussion about what it means to be local. We also talk about the potential of peak craft beer. Uh-oh. And even though Underground serves consumers, I thought it would be neat to crack a crafty and sit down with my friend Tyler, a consumer like me, about beer consumption. In the second part of this episode, you'll hear my conversation with Tyler. We both underscore and highlight some of the important points from earlier episodes, but also accentuate the philosophical themes in this episode and chat about what's happening in the pub world. Tracing a pint of Alberta-made beer made me fully understand the role that agriculture plays to our economy. It also made me realize that there are a lot more cogs in this craft beer scene than I first anticipated. I thought it would be as simple as going to a barley farmer and chatting about his or her connection to brewers. In fact, three episodes cannot do Alberta craft beer justice at all. There are too many people to talk to. I forgot an important part of the beer process, the actual malting. There are also beer reps, beer groups, hop growers, more brewers. The list is virtually endless. And that's why I do want to rediscover and revisit this topic. Maybe, maybe next year. But in this final episode, I speak to Elida Knight, manager, and Tom Goodman, associate manager of Underground. I want to apologize in advance of the quality of the interview. The background music at the pub is a bit loud. We recorded at Underground during the pub hours, but hey, that's the beauty of this medium. We're taken to places audibly. One thing you will notice, though, is that Underground has a decent playlist. But let's finish this series and get to the consumer side of things. Here's Elida and Tom. I've been here for two years. I just started managing about two months ago, um, but I've been here for two years, so I've started serving and I kind of worked my way up into this. Um, yeah, I've tried well over a thousand beers at this point. It feels like I can't guarantee anything. I've definitely only just gone into the untapped. I don't know if you've gotten into untapped at all. Oh, it's a wonderful app that you can use to like Oh, log. the app? Yeah, yes. yeah, okay. Sorry, yeah, okay. I was like, Sorry. is there an untapped beer that I'm <laughs> oh, not aware yeah, no, of? Like, I just... This is like, this is going to blow my mind. <laughs> but okay, no, I know of the app. I don't use mm -hmm. it. But... Yeah, so I only just got into that. But okay. it's like super handy for like for customers and everything for us to be uploading that information all the time. I like to think that I've tried a lot of beers, but Elida's tried well over a thousand. Man, and as for Tom, because he's from England, we quickly dove into the difference between how our pub scenes differ. Uh, so my name is Tom Goodman. I'm the assistant manager of the Underground Pub and Grow. Nice. Uh, I've been here now for just over a year and a half. Um, been in the industry for almost 10 years back in England, where I'm from. Um, so it's interesting to see how it differs to back home to North America. Right. How does it differ? 
Uh, in quite quite a bit. Like England seems in some ways behind the times. We're more traditionalists. Um, it is starting to change slowly, and there are new breweries in England that are definitely uh, trendsetting and following uh, North American styles of like more fruit based, more interesting based, uh, higher APVs. Um, so it is definitely a changing scene. And there's a there's kind of a culture around the pub scene in the UK, right? Like less so here, yeah. in, in a way, right? Like people will go out after work in the UK and and share four to heritage. five pints. Yeah. yeah. Whereas here, sure. it's kind of like you need to get home set still. Some, get home still. You have a dog family out. that you have a family. cares about um, <laughs> That's one thing that I'd like to see grow here, right? As the craft brew scene kind of really blossoms, really kind of finds its legs, it'd be interesting to sort of see that. I mean, it has its drawbacks too, heavy heads in the morning and things like that. Yeah. No, we have an Maybe slower drink. work pace. Yeah, that's sort of we, we have 24 hour drinking in England, right. so you can pretty much drink whenever you want. Right. Uh, and it's kind of nice to come here and have a bit more restriction. Right. And, time uh, to sleep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Rest time. Part of me wishes Alberta would embrace a pub culture like the UK a little more. I often find it difficult trying to get friends and colleagues to go out for a pint after work. We're all too busy. Maybe we need to slow down a bit and enjoy the moment. That being said, my mornings are thankful for our current pub scene. Here's a bit more information about Underground. So as we're much coming as up, know. Yeah, we're coming up on five years this November 1st. We're having a big birthday bash, big birthday bash having as many people in as we can, trying to get people here for it and just like let people know that we're we'll still be here next year kind of thing, yeah. right? So. Wicked. Yeah, um, basically, like Lorena and Lang, the owners, they started in Vancouver. They found some uh, some pubs that were getting into the micro and realized that it craft beer doesn't have to be just lager, which is really nice for, I think, everyone at this point. It's really nice that we've come a long way yeah. from just lagers and uh, kind of your plain old Guinness. Yeah. yeah, your selection of five beers that yeah. everyone's a little tired and sick. Yeah, of, right? exactly. Yeah. Trends in craft beers come and go. As Phil and Chad spoke about in that first episode, IPAs have changed a lot over the last few years. Lower alcohol content, less hops, and although they haven't gone out of style, other beers have come and gone. Fruit-inspired beers have come and gone. Sour beers. There are collector's beers, pumpkin-spiced beers... Those are actual styles of beer, but logos and casings change too. Here's Elida and Tom on the most current beer trend. Maybe over the last year, what's kind of... Uh, definitely like Saison's have like taken a huge like hike this year. Yeah. Everyone seems to be jumping on the Saison uh, uh, bandwagon. Everyone's uh, a Saison laser. Yeah. <laughs> what's so the I, reason for that, do you think? Um, when it's just like a, an interesting style that everyone wants to have a go at, or it seems to be like... A lot of breweries, they, they uh, either follow suit or they all pick onto a style and they all have a go at it themselves. Right. Um, and it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, the way that um, brewing used to happen was like a seasonal thing. Like now we're not seeing it so much of a seasonal thing anymore. Right. Obviously, saisons are still coming into the end of like the, the harvest season, but you can get saisons throughout the entire year. Right. Um, and it's just it's just interesting how many people are, are changing and playing around with recipes. A lot more fruits are being added to things. Um, there's new breweries now that are opening up that are trying to stick to styles. So they're kind of breaking the mold. Like we just want to make a beer, so we're using unique or like fresh products, and we're creating a recipe, but it's not to a style, which is weird for the industry because everyone knows IPAs or North American IPAs or English bitters. So when someone comes up with a beer and like, yeah, this is our beer, we don't classify it. It becomes this new, interesting like, situation where you just like the beer for what it is, not just saying, oh, good. it's an IPA or it's a... Yeah, right. no, there's a lot of like hybrids happening across yeah. the board where there's just like blended beers that are becoming like more than one thing. So yeah. It's really cool how it's expanded for sure. Even like a lot of interesting sours are coming out mm-hmm. right now too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just been kind of crazy how quickly it expanded. Like it just—I've been here for two years, and it's crazy how much more each brewery that I've seen has just like doubled production almost. Like, yeah, it's kind of wild. And collaboration is another thing. Like breweries yeah. coming together with other breweries, having like friend or sister breweries. They're like, okay, we want to do a collab together, and this can go from province to province, or you know, from uh, city to city, or even country to country. 
This theme has come up time and time again throughout these three episodes. It's the sense of community again. It's this form of sharing that's really neat. I don't know if this is organically happening or if it's strategic, but this sense of sharing and community has been such a dominant theme throughout this series. From the brewers back to the farmers and maltsters, this bond they hold seems pretty hard to break. I imagine it's because they all work so hard together to make the best beer, and then drinkers themselves drink the good within a group of friends or a community. Here's Elida. Bond that the brewers and the, and the agricultural sort of I would say even, even the customers totally. are kind of like, they're all about it too. Like, they're excited when they, they find out that we have a keg, like, especially brewed for us or something like that. Like, people get excited to try something, like, totally unique, and there's so, so many totally unique beers out there right now. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they get excited? Is that is it that sense of community? Yeah, or is it, actually, like, yeah. it's just, like, nice to have, to come to your favorite local pub and get something that's just, like, special for you because you come here, right? Like, yeah. makes yeah. you feel part of the community. As we learned in the first episode of Derive, of this craft brew series, Craft beer in the province has grown immensely. I dropped a pretty alarming stat. In Alberta, we had, at that time, more than 60 active microbreweries. That number now has swollen to about or just over 100. Does Underground notice a difference from even three years ago? Are they busier? Silly question. And this is a very silly question, but you guys must notice a difference. Huge. And, <laughs> and are you guys busier because of it? I'd say so. Like, uh, well, it's just crazy. Like, even, like, we just spent the past two Sundays in a row going to Calgary trying beers at breweries that just popped up in the last three months. Like, it's crazy how many, if you look, even every six months, those stats are hugely different every time, right? Like These stats are already out of date. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, (laughs) it's kind of crazy how quickly it's all just popping up. But I think it's been really good for, for business, for sure. Like, every time we have a new brew, we like to social media let everyone know like hey like we're the first place in Edmonton you can come to get this stuff you know what I mean like we're trying to be ahead of the curve at all times so um yes I was about to say like you know there's the uh Alberta craft beer book that even if you look at its first issue to its year issue that's just come out recently its year anniversary you can see noticeably the amount of breweries that have come on the come on the market and and are still coming on the market, yeah. Um, and a lot of breweries that haven't got their own space yet, you know, their contract brewing, just to get their product out there. Um, and it's just wonderful to to be part of and then see it. It sounds like there are a ton of breweries opening up, and the stats don't lie. There are, but is the market becoming too saturated with too many breweries? Is there a worry of that? Here's Tom. Two people about um, the general consensus is like. At some point, yes, there is going to be a hit a point where it hits and like it's too many, yeah, too, too much selection. Yeah, but yeah. right now, the, this, the bubble hasn't burst, so it's still people. People are still getting into the industry. We're still waiting for uh, one new brewery just got their license in Edmonton. Uh, one other new brewery is hoping to open up in the next couple of months, and it's just going to keep going. And it's something that's really cool to see. Um, and you get breweries like you were saying before about like the products that they're using. You now we're starting to see breweries that are partnering up with farmers and hop farmers and grain farmers and having their own personalized hops made. So it's this really interesting time. So that means there is potential for peak craft beer. How would that affect a pub like Underground who prides itself and defines itself from local craft beer? I mean, for us, it's it's only going to mean that we're going to have like this abundance of beer. So... it's not, it's kind of going to get to the point where, like, you know, everyone's going to be trying to have all these different breweries, all these different beers, and we don't know, we're going to miss out on beers because we don't know what we can take, how much we can move, how much we can push, and, you know, we'll be upset that we missed the beer or we can't have this in, or, as I said, like, people will assign beers to other people and not to us. So it's just going to become this, like, you know, we'll try our best to get in what we can, we'll always try and be a, a, part, of the, a part of the trend, a part of the curve, um, and just run with it. Yeah. It's going to create a lot of competition, though, that's for sure. Like, the price point on cakes will come down a lot, I think, eventually, because they won't have any room to work with anymore, right? Like, it's so much competition, but... That's good for consumers. Yeah, yeah, definitely, exactly, so... But more breweries means more choices, at least for now. What are beer drinkers looking for now? I interviewed Underground in the fall, and not surprisingly... 
guests right now, pumpkins are in. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, what a surprise, right? <laughs> it's PSL season for yeah. beer, so every year that happens, and, uh, you know, we, we try to keep it, like, get it in time for September, tap it right away, have it on for the two to three months that it's available, and then move on to stouts and porters for the winter time, typically, you know. Um, it, and browns. And yeah, yeah. The we, dark definitely, we definitely have, like, a seasonal change, like, summertime is more fruit, wheat. And is, it, is that predictable, like season over season over season? I will say, okay, so one thing I have noticed is, like, obviously I check out other, like, restaurants like ourselves. I've been to uh, Beer Rev, and I find that they don't seasonalize their beer. It's just kind of like, we tapped eight IPAs today in the wintertime, and you're like, I could have really gone first out today. So yeah. I find that we are really good for stacking the right thing at the right time of the year like it's like we know what our customers are wanting and what time of year they're wanting it so i don't know it's just been pretty good for adjusting to that i guess mm. like i must say ipas seem to be a stable like everyone doesn't matter what time of the year it is and same with lagers people love lager um and obviously we always make sure we have a product where someone walks in and says you know i want one of the big name brands we know what we can push them towards in the craft beer scene. And they end up walking away like, actually, I really enjoyed that. And I hope they walk away, like, stepping away from what they used to drink and maybe start thinking, oh, I'm going to ask if they, good, yeah, yeah. if they have that somewhere else or, oh, can I pick this up in a bottle or a can somewhere and go to the local liquor store. And rather than picking up, like, the case of whatever they used to drink, they're actually now picking up the case of the local brand. Right. Yeah. If you haven't been to Underground, they have a laundry list of beers to try. So go. If you love experimenting and trying new things, go. But not everything they have on hand is from Alberta. Are Albertan beers their top sellers? Uh, uh, Yellowhead Brewing, yeah. which is four blocks away with us. Yeah. Um, they are a mainstay of ours. We yeah. only have like maybe six to eight mainstay taps on at, at all times, which are breweries that have been with us from the start or we have a very close relationship with. Um, so, um, I don't know. It's hard to say. Honestly, the most unique ones sell the best, okay. or whatever. Honestly, partially, it has to do with your server as well at the time, and like, uh, and your taste yourself. Because honestly, when I was serving before, I would go. I had my my regimen. Go up to a table. I'd be like lighter, darker, bitter, sweet, hoppy, less hoppy. Like get right nice. to the point. Like you know, when you go to a table three times and they're still overwhelmed by the seventy-two tap beers. So yeah, like, like what do you yeah, like? What don't let's you narrow like? this down. Right. Like if there's a flavor you don't like, I'm not gonna suggest it for you. I will say like flights are really great for getting people yeah. to just like figure out what they want from there. So I wouldn't say like specifically locally Edmonton okay. sells the best. I would just say. Yeah, it kind of rotates day to day and whatever beer we have in. Elida mentioned, and the sign out front of Underground often states that they sell 72 beers. 72 different kinds of beer. How do you select that many? And how does the selection process work? Um, as I said before, we always try and talk to breweries, find out. They'll tell us beforehand if something's coming. Um, and then there's either like an allocation process or it's just a case of you go on to uh, where we order our beers, Liquor Connect, and try and be the first people to get them. There's only so many kegs of, of new beers that come on. Um, and it's, we try and balance our, our tap list. So we know that we have all these different styles that we need to make sure, as again, seasonally, they're all balanced equally to what we want to have on. So in the wintertime, it's more stouts, porters, and browns. We make sure we have more of those. In the summertime, more um, uh, more fruit, wheat, lagers. Um, so it's just a game that we constantly play every single week. And like Elena was, was saying earlier, we've just been to Calgary to get in a load of new beers. So it's also pushing ourselves to make sure we're finding and looking in the right places and talking to the new breweries, seeing what they have on which again goes to our customers and they're excited to know that we have something that they probably might have heard about as well suddenly here at the underground. So something they might have seen on social media or heard about from friends or people who have tried, they now know they can come to the underground and we have that. So. Yeah, honestly, it's just been really great. Like, uh, we had a lot of fun even just going and grabbing, like, uh, <laughs> kegs. Like, we just went and we're like, uh, well, we were at Caravelle in Calgary and they gave us a keg that we had to talk them into a little bit, but it worked, and we're going to be the only place in Edmonton with that. Neat. So, yeah, it's really exciting being, like, on the forefront of beer. Yeah. When I go to the liquor store to pick up a case of beer, I look for whatever's new and whatever catches my eye. I like to think that I'm always trying to be on the forefront, too. 
But local means something to me. It should mean something to me. Tyler and I chat about this later in the episode. But what does local mean to Elida and Tom? I like to say from the ground up. Like, it is really nice when companies go straight, like, Alberta beef, Alberta homegrown, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it is really nice that that movement is kind of moving forward. Uh, supporting just like littler shops, boutiques. Like, I will say one thing about White Ave randomly is that it sucks that places like Lululemon and bigger chains are moving in and kind of destroying little bits of Edmonton that are should be stay Edmonton. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, I then even Jasper Ave and like 104th Street, same kind of thing. Like, we don't want to see big places moving in and taking taking spots of Edmontonians. Do you know what I mean? Like, we should be here. Um, well, coming from well, where I used to live in England, I actually made a company that, which was a, like a locally sourced company. Okay. So I went out and tried to find all the local shops or local brands or local people, local artists. Because for me, it's all about the homegrown. It's all about, you know, you have that dream and you want to make something. The community around you has that obligation to help you, to make you thrive and enjoy what you're making. You know, and um, it's, that community spirit is just incredible to be part of. Like I was saying, like outside brands and, and corporations can and always will come in, but it's always about supporting some of the locals, and you then feel part of that local community, and that you it just grows exponentially. You said you said the the local area or residents have an obligation. What do you mean? Do you, is is that obligation sort of in, inherent, or do you think it's like? I just think that you know, if you if you live somewhere like, and you you, you should you should always try and look to something that's made by someone that you could either know or could live next to you, or you know, rather than going to the big chain and knowing that you can you know, that's going to be any way that you can go in the world. Yeah, and see the effects that you know your support gives yeah. that person. Right? That gives them the next money to, to go go bigger to, to have that extra product to you know push their company further or just to last you know a lot of, a lot of new places that open up within the first two years if they don't if they don't get that luck or if they don't get that support they're going to close and at least they tried to make that dream happen and they did but it's kind of you know you should always try and support as much local as you possibly can to keep it home and keep it keep it close to you Tom and Elida's arguments are pretty strong for someone to consider drinking local but how do you go about persuading someone who's used to drinking fizzy yellow water? We honestly, we do not give them the option to not. Yeah, that's good. So <laughs> we're like so, local so, so, only across yeah, the board. I like it. So there, there's that, but like yeah. So we get people that come in all the time, and they will ask for you know your regular macro beers, and you just you give them the closest thing you can, and kind of try to even push their limits, like. My favorite is on Wednesdays, we've got a really good like drink deal where all of our beer is 5 or $6. So you save a few dollars on every beer, no matter what you're getting. So that's the day I like to say, okay, so we used to have the sour stout on. That's a hard beer to push. Not a lot of people are willing to try a sour stout, but that's a day where I'd be like, hey, what do you have to lose? It's a beer, you're saving some money on it. Like, push your limits, you know what I mean? Like Experiment. Yeah, so yeah. I think uh, that's one thing to get people out of their comfort zone is very important with uh, like getting them more locally. Um, honestly, it's a lot of more traditional people that are kind of stuck in the like North American dream of, I don't know, just yeah. staying with the chains and going to a Boston pizza every time you're in a in a, any city because it's there. It's just like, why not try the mom and pop shop because they've also been there this same amount of time. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, yeah. they're the ones actually supporting the community, not these big chains. So, yeah, I think it's just hugely important what we're doing and what everyone's kind of trying to do right now. As I was saying earlier, you know, people will come in and ask for these big name brands and we'll always try and show them all, you know, this is what the locals have to offer. Um, we're lucky that we have, we're surrounded by uh, big hotels that have supported us over the years and have sent us a lot of customers. So, people that come from around the world or from America, Often, you know, they're asking for a brand that they know of, and it's good to say, like, you know, well, you know, we haven't got that, but we have something that is either better, better, or <laughs> of the same like right. taste qualities right. or taste like profiles, and they try it and they fall in love with it. And like I was saying, is that because of our rotating taps and because we try and pushing people to try new things, you might come in here one week and find something you absolutely love, but the next week it might not be here. So then it's down to us to, to guide the customer and for them to 
to live a little and be a bit daring and try something different, which they never thought of having before, or something in the same uh, taste profile but from a different company. Mm. And then they get to find and experience all these new beers that they fall in love with again and again and again. Mm. From my experience in digging into Alberta craft beer, both interviewing and drinking, the most enjoyable and arguably most important part, local brewers typically use higher quality ingredients. There's more thought and more care, more time and experimentation that goes into a pint. For that, a higher price can be reflected. So is price a big deal for the average beer drinker in Alberta? How about for the beer aficionado? Everyone is kind of still watching what they spend. So you want to know that you're going to go somewhere and not have to pay an extortion amount of money for a, a single beer. You know? And we try and do that as best as we can with our special drink nights. Every day of the week we have a, like, a, some form of special for drinks. So you know if you come here on one of these days, you're going to have a different option for how much it's going to cost you to spend. And you get the choice. Like Sunday is one of our best days where all Alberta beers are $5. So it doesn't matter how much it was originally, everything is for five bucks. Which gives them the option to try anything they want to try, regardless of how much it originally cost. We know the craft beer game is growing immensely. It's evolved from a handful of breweries to dozens. Beer consumption is on the rise. Beer styles have come and gone, and Alberta is creating its own beer identity. For the sake of a pub, how does Underground want to see the craft beer game evolve? How would they like it to evolve? Honestly, like, I'm loving that it's growing still. I don't see any issues with it so far. Um, the competition, like I said, is going to be great until it is too much at one point. And so I think until we're at that peaking point, like, it's just good news for everyone. There's just going to be a million different flavors to try out there. Like, it's going to be hard to keep up, like, for any individual and as a company. But, like, we're going to be at the forefront just getting as much in as we can. So... How, I think it's great. How do you... Or when? when is your prediction for the, the peak craft beer? I almost want to if say... If you were within, to guess. Within the next five years, I'd almost okay. say, because That's it's a longer expanding. time frame than I was thinking. But. I, well, that's like me being a little generous okay. even. Like, they're okay. popping up quickly. Like, everyone's trying it. So, more choices leads us back to peak craft beer. When is it going to happen and who's going to win? Because if it happens, in a way, this is industry's evolution. Here are Elida and Tom on Peak Craft Beer's potential timing and what that may mean for the industry. Is it, oh. is it the big guys or is it the, the new market entrance? Is it... Well, the interesting thing is like, I've heard a lot, of, a lot of people talking about you know, the, 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 big, the big dogs that say that they're actually now picking up breweries. They're actively going out there and buying up microbreweries they've been like okay this is the new thing like you know um, and you see some of that in their branding too now right on yeah. TV and stuff it's and like, it's, that's a craft beer commercial it's sad, yeah. Yeah. Beer. it's sad when we hear about people that were like okay we, we can't stock you anymore um, or you know, or rumours of like you know someone that we like to have in like there's, there's talks of them possibly and it's like please don't turn don't do like just like you know um, but it's it's one of those things it's business yeah. People either have to stay true to themselves, or I, and I don't mean to be rude to them, like, you know, stay true to their core. I'm like, you know, we want to be independently owned, or they take that hike and they want to go to the big corporate, they want to go to the big time, they want to have this endless, and well, not endless, but like, like you know, spending that they can get their product out to the bigger people and the bigger wide world, which is what business is about like, to, to some people. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see who stays their core beliefs and who, who does go for the bigger bigger game. I'd love to revisit this craft brew series on Derive and see how the game has changed. Maybe we'll do it a year from now. Maybe we'll do it in the summer. I'd love to talk to a maltster, a hop grower, and people at the pub drinking craft brew. I'd like to end this first half of this episode with a quote from Tom, or with Tom only because I couldn't put it any better myself. I love, I love the fact that I came to a brand new country, to a new, uh, a new place to live, and found this incredible scene. That it's just like, even in the year and a half that I've been here, has changed so much, and people are so passionate about. And I've met some of the most wonderful people. I mean, going to the, the Craft Beer Festival, having, getting to meet all the reps, 
and all the brewers and just to be part of it is just is, is a wonderful to be part of and also working with new staff and new in a new places and everyone's so so passionate about it yeah. so everyone has such a, a love for the beer it's great after the break we chat to my friend and social media guru tyler butler and i ask him a few other questions from the consumer side of things back after this for sticking around and listening to the first series of Derive. It's been a blast to make. Thanks to Phil, Chad, Wade, Elida, Tom, and Tyler, and to all my friends, colleagues, and family who pushed me to finally release and make this series. I want to keep this going, so please share this first series with your friends, with your family, and on your social media. You can find all of Derive's information on deriveaudio.tumblr.com. Feel free to tweet at me. I'm at npford with questions, advice, and anything else you find interesting. I have plenty of ideas for series, and I'm already planning on releasing the next series in the coming months. Stay tuned, and thanks again. And we're back. I spoke to Tyler shortly after my interview with Underground because I wanted to A, crack a cold one with him, and B, I wanted to keep the beer consumer momentum going. So here's my conversation with Tyler Butler about his relation to craft beer and what he looks for in beer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Cheers, Cheers. Cheers. That's not a good cheers sound with the cans. Mm -mm. My name's Tyler Butler. Uh, I am now the social media manager here at ATV Financial. Um, recently acquired. Uh, previously, I was the digital coordinator at McEwen University. In my personal life, I'm many things. I'm a folk musician. I'm a podcaster like you. I have Don't Call Me a Guru is my podcast with Linda Huang. What kind of beer do I like? I'm not a... I don't think of myself as like a beer geek. Uh, something I really like is uh, sort of exploring the world through beer, like the way that beers become really regional. Mm. I love when I travel just like tasting the different places that I can go. And I've noticed it's something that's happening more in Alberta. Every small town, every city that I go to, I can have a different beer. From as far away as Scotland, where I I was drinking, you know, local brews, uh, sitting outside on a patio this summer, to... um, I don't know, everywhere I've been in the world the last few years, I can try a new beer or every little town I go to. And yeah. It's part. It's become part of like my travel memory is uh, what, what did it taste like to be in that place. Awesome. And it's a cheap way to do it. You know, you're not doing the whole farm-to-table $200 <laughs> plate thing. You're just having a beer. And maybe, maybe a more fun way, right? Like having, having... I asked for Tyler's first real experience with beer. We'll get to that in a sec. But my first real experience with beer was when I was 17. My friends and I, we went tobogganing, and one of our friends was the boot. He bought us the beer. I remember we drank Coors Light, and it was nasty. We had extra fun tobogganing that day, though. Tyler's got a great beer story, too. I was not really an underage drinker. Maybe a sip here, sip there, but I wasn't a big... I was a total geek in high school, so really once I went to university... I started drinking beer, and uh, me and my roommates, we'd walk out. There was, like, one liquor store on White Ave that had, like, a decent beer fridge. And now it's it's just, like, Erdinger and uh, Tusker, like, things that are not... Had that. Like, they're yeah. good. They're great. Yeah. Um, but they were so unusual when yeah. you're used to a liquor store that just has, like, Bud and Coors <laughs> and stuff, right? So we'd just go kind of goof around and try different beers uh, just because, I don't know, it was interesting. And uh, let's see... I started, my beer of choice in my first year as an 18-year-old, my only year as an 18-year-old, was Alexander Keith's, uh, The Pride of Nova Scotia. I can tell you a great story. On my 18th birthday, my dad dropped me off at the bar. He said, Tyler, son, you're going to uh, probably want to drink some Alexander Keith's tonight, The Pride of Nova Scotia. I said, you know me well, Father. I I would like to do that. He said, uh... You may also wish tonight to, to eat a donair, a Halifax donair. Uh, they're fine food creations. I said, that sounds pretty good to me, too. And he said, son, if you do these two things on the same night, you'll have what's known as the thunder shits. 
<laughs> Do not repeat your father's mistake, and I never did. I never did. No Keats good man, and Donaire. Good man. Separate nights. Tonight am I having Keats or Donaire? It sounds like Tyler knows his way around beers. He listed Tusker, which is from Kenya, and Erdinger, which is from Germany. They're great beers, but I guess not everyone has tried them. Is beer Tyler's go-to adult drink of choice? I'll have a beer. One beer. Maybe more than one. Okay. At home, I've actually stopped keeping beer for the most part in the house. I'll have it, if I have some friends over or something, I'll buy it. Or uh, maybe like once a week, I'll get some beer. Um, But I've actually like... I've actually kind of moved on to, like, gin is, is my drink of choice lately. I find, uh, yeah, I, it's just a little, it settles a little better for me. Like, uh, the older I get, the the less my body can handle, I think. Yeah, but I enjoy a good beer. I haven't cut beer out. I've just, uh, I've just stopped drinking it as often. I would wager that a lot of experienced beer drinkers are like Tyler. I know I am. When I go out, I have a beer, or two, or three. But at home, I prefer to drink gins and bourbons. Tyler puts this nicely. What I'm trying to do, Nick, is make drinking an intentional act. I want to go home and enjoy a good beer. I want that beer to maybe bring back a memory or a story or or maybe just taste really good. But I want to make sure that I'm not just unconsciously downing a few beers while I'm cooking, you know? Totally. Um, Which is easy. Yeah. But I think think you're right. And and maybe this is a sign of, of getting older. I, I think, certainly, it I certainly th- makes I think me more boring. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Nonetheless, we both still buy beer and drink it when we're out. What does a consumer like Tyler look for like in beer? I, IPAs and then like really dark beers. Okay. Uh, and do you always search for those too? Generally, yes. Okay. I also really like brown ales. Like, and it was just pointed out to me. I, I said to a friend, like, oh, this beer's so good. He's like, Tyler, you always like brown ales. <laughs> get, out, get over it. Yeah, this is not new. So I think I just really like that kind of caramelly, like, full... Yeah. I like a little bit of bitterness. That's been something that's come to me in the last few years, like, just really enjoying bitter flavors. Again, I feel like a lot of people, that happens to them as they get older. Maybe my taste buds are just dying along with my youth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier in the episode, Elida from Underground Tapping Grill mentioned the app Untapped. Does Tyler use an app to track the different beers that he drinks? I don't. And how, when Tyler goes out with friends for a drink, does he keep track of the number of drinks that he consumes? I would say that I don't do either. I would say that I have a sense of, like, is tonight a big night or not? Okay. And I give myself, like, there are nights where I go out knowing, like, I don't have anywhere to be tomorrow. All my best buds are in town tonight. I'm not going to put a time limit on this. I'm just going to go have a good time. And uh, the feeling I get is just like freedom. Like, hey, I can go drink as much as I want, drink as little as I want, just go have a great time. It would stress me out to kind of be counting it. And uh, I, in the same vein, I also know there's nights where, like, hey, like, make sure you don't have more than a couple pints. But in that case, it's more of a feeling than like right. a mathematical equation. It's like, all right, I'm getting a little tipsy. I should probably have a water. Gotcha. Uh, the second question, I don't keep like a journal or anything. Like, again, I, I don't really think of myself as like a beer super geek. elitist, like beer geek. I generally like don't try to be like very non-elitist in everything that I do. I think, um, I think of beer as like, it's something that guides my memories. Uh, like, I've got such great memories. Everything from, like, trying some, like, $12 pint of beer and just really enjoying it that's super rare to me and Lindsay Lindsay's in San Tyler's Sebastian partner. in Spain buying a one-euro pe- one six-pack and drinking it on the beach, just the shittiest beer in the sun in the most beautiful city with, like, good food. Uh, so it's more... I, it's more attached to, to my memories than okay. it is, like, a log of flavor notes and stuff right. like that. Um, so I, if you see a beer in a cooler, you go, oh, I had that one. Like I have go-to beers that I buy on a frequent basis. Does Tyler? Blue Buck nice, or okay. uh, Full Moon. Okay. Yeah. Those so, are two that I typically buy, too. Yeah. So. They're just, like, light, lighter, I, like, less intense yeah. IPAs, good drinking, uh... I can drink them in any season. 
I would say, like, in the winter, I tend to drink darker beer. In the summer, I tend to drink lighter beer. So, like, those are two I'll buy any time of year. But in the winter, I really like St. Ambrose Oatmeal mm. Stout. Um, and can now drink multiple, even though it's like drinking porridge. Uh, <laughs> they don't kid around on the oatmeal. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in, in the summer, uh, maybe I'll experiment a little bit more. Um, but yeah, Blue Buck and, uh, and Full Moon. Those are solid. Those are two, like... Full moon is something I legitimately miss when I'm not in Edmonton, mm-hmm. where I think, like, man, if I moved, I, like, couldn't get Alley Cat all the time. Uh, and so there's this real sense of home around yeah. it. The, often, we went away for a month this summer. The first day I was back, I went out and bought a case of full moon. Love it. And, you know, like, the, it's a funny thing to, uh, to remember. Like Tyler, Alley Cat's full moon pale ale is one of my favorite beers. It's perfectly hopped, and because it's local... It reminds Tyler and I of home. That means local means something to me. What does local mean to Tyler? That's a great question. Uh, let's see. I'm a folk musician. Uh, the way that I've often defined folk music, uh, it's something I thought a lot about, is like music that's about place. Okay, so it's not like, it doesn't have to be about like, it doesn't have to be a song about Edmonton for it to be a song about, like, a physical space or, or a physical, like, place or, like, a, a mental place or a place in time. So that that informs how I think about local, where, like, I like beers that sort of tell the story of where they're from, uh, you know, talk about coming from local farms or have some, some aspect of, like, history in the city, um, may, even if some of it's branding, I just like it. Yeah. You know, like, I like when something's called Skoda Gold. <laughs> I like when something has a sense of place to it. Yeah. To me, that's what local means. Um, and that can be as, like, corporate as when, when we were in Dublin this summer, there was this series of, like, Guinness beers that were, they had dug up all these old notes from, like, uh, a long time ago, 100 years ago. I think they've been around a long time. Uh, and, and they found all these old brewmaster's notes, and they were recreating those recipes. And I thought, that, that's cool, you know? Even, yeah. if, even if it's a gimmick, it's cool, uh, and, I, and I like it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it tells a cool story. Not too long ago, Rogue, a brewery out of Oregon, put out a beer that was made from yeast from the brewmaster's beard. I haven't tried it, but what's the weirdest beer that Tyler's tried? By the way, he's tried that beer. You know, I... I think that the whole sour trend is, is sour just, trend. like, insane. I yeah. think I, I hate all you of it. Like it. <laughs> I, I think it's disgusting. I think it's like drinking puke. Like, I just hate it. So, like, that's just bizarre. The whole, anything okay. that ends in sour is, like, why? I don't know if I'm an adventurous enough beer purchaser to have, like, a super weird one. Like, I kind of stay in my lane gotcha. and, and just drink things that I think I, I'll like. Right. Um, which is, again, me, like... Just, I don't know, trying to drink good beer. Right. So Tyler says he's not experimental, at least with his beers. But let's go back to that rogue example. He's had that. He's tried that beer. A lot of people would be turned off by it. Where does experimentation come from, from the consumer side of things? Of course, this is partly why the craft brew industry is succeeding. It's due to more experimentation. Maybe to further the progress, we need more experimentation. As consumers... How do we experiment more? It comes from, like, maybe a sense of, like, boredom. Like, if you drink the okay. same thing for a long time, maybe you just want to try something else. Maybe maybe you grow to trust a brewer, like a record label. Right. Maybe you really like this band, and you think, oh, I should check out this other band. They, they seem similar kind of thing. Or a, a similar artist on Spotify, you know. Right. Like, maybe it grows from that. Um, for me, I'll experiment with breweries. I'll be like, hey, I, oh, I really like stouts. I'm going to try this one. I'm going to try right. this one. And just kind of get a sense of, is there something that I like even better out there? Like, a, I, I know kind of a range of what I'm into, but um, right. is there something really good? I'll experiment if, if something seems like something I'll like and it's cheaper. <laughs> I'll right. try that. Right. Um, I mean, innovation, uh, I think there's an artistry to making beer. Uh, so I think the people who are really good at making it and are really driven to make it, um, you know, your micro brews, your, your small business owners, essentially, uh, the, the really good ones are going to be driven to innovate. They're, they're artists in their own way. They're creating something. And, uh, and I think that's really great. Um, I don't know, something, something I like to do, this is, I guess, a little unrelated, but 
when we travel, I try to visit breweries. That's like something I'll do as a tourist. And I, I, I like seeing what they're doing in there. there. There's always, when you go to the brewery, there's something weird they're working on. There's some butterscotch, like, pine <laughs> yeah, blend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm always into trying it, but it's neat to see people are trying to push the boundaries. And yeah. beer, it's just a recipe. It's just a way of making drink. Yeah, I mean, it, it, gives, the, it gives the meaning to craft beer, yeah. right? Like. I, I think experimentation is, is huge in it. Um, the reason I ask about experimentation is because macro breweries are still so pro- popular and, you know, omnipresent. I just wonder, like, your average Albertan or your average consumer probably isn't drinking Blind Man River Session Ale. Yeah. And it's a pretty damn good beer. So how do we get Albertans to try Blind Man River Session Ale? You know, I heard a story. My buddy was working at Next Act, and someone came in and said, Hey, you got, you got pill? And he's like, No, but we have Pilsner or Kell. I was like, What the fuck is that? Yeah. Just, here, try it. And the guy, like, downs a pie and just says, Holy shit, this is the best beer I've ever had. Like, I think there's a role. There are gatekeepers. Maybe you're, like, throwing a party, or maybe you're the bartender or something. Um, but there are gatekeepers who have a role to play in introducing people to new things yeah. who might not want to branch out on their own. I think the- Talk of experimentation and innovation and growth with Underground brought forward this idea of peak craft beer. Tyler stopped buying as much beer now as he used to. Maybe we're entering peak craft beer now. I mean, he's more into spirits, and I am too. Are craft spirits the new craft beer? I've been talking about this with some friends, yeah. I, I think that... If anything, like, gin or, or, like, infused spirit of any kind has this ability to really tell stories about, like, the land, right? In a way that maybe even beer can't. Like, yes, I guess beer's made of grain, but, like, you know, gin is just herbs and spices infused into, like, a a simple plain spirit, right? So, uh... I've got, we bought a gin uh, on Vancouver Island that had like seaweed in it. Um, I know there's local distilleries here in town that have a totally different like flavor profile. Uh, I also think it's really exciting to be from Canada with Canadian gins popping up because we have like all of those kind of Arctic prairie flavors are exactly what makes gin good uh, and and really, really unique. Uh, So I'm kind of pumped about local distillers. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I think... So as a consumer, where does Tyler see the craft beer movement going? Even as I'm making this episode, craft brewers like Last Best, who we interviewed in the first episode, and Troubled Monk are starting to make vodkas and gins of their own. Maybe we're in the midst of peak craft beer. There must be a critical mass where, like, not everyone can start a successful brewery. Um, and, I, and not I, everyone does now. Totally. Let's be honest. And as we, as we get further into this age of craft beer, there will be ones that get bigger and take up more space in the landscape. Uh, I think, I hope that we can maintain a real regional, Mm. even if it's just a handful of good breweries that are successful, locally owned, what I, I'm okay with that. Uh, What I hope is that they don't get pushed out or like quietly bought up by major companies. Like what what I hate to find out is like, oh, that beer you really like, oh, that's owned by Molson, you know? Uh, Because they are purposefully doing that. They're buying local brewers and they're kind of fooling people into thinking they're drinking local craft beer and uh, I think it's a real shame when that happens. It, yeah. it, it goes against my philosophy of uh, democratizing yeah, totally. local um, empowerment. I get bored so I want to get drunk I know how that goes So I ain't gonna touch it Tyler nailed it. The point of craft beer and craft spirits is to empower your community. Drinking and supporting local gives you pride and helps turn dreams into reality for those who live around you. Throughout this three-part series on Alberta craft beer, we learned that community, experimentation, and Alberta pride are helping propel Alberta's craft beer scene. 
breweries are popping up all over the place. And that's brought forward this idea of peak craft beer. Is peak craft beer imminent? Are we in it now? It's super hard to tell. All I know is that I have a great selection of locally sourced and locally made products that isn't going away. It's only gaining momentum. Every time you buy a six-pack of Alberta-made beer, think of people like Chad, Phil, and Wade. Try to think about the amount of effort that goes into making those suds in your glass. You'll enjoy it that much more. Before opting for a macro brew or a beer that's created outside of your country, just think twice about supporting people who live close to you. Think that you're helping make someone's dream a reality. Once you do that, you'll have a better appreciation of local craft beer and local products. And, at the very least, it shows that you're more willing to experiment. That brings us to an end of episode 3, and of the Alberta Craft Brew series. I can't wait to revisit this topic. Over the next couple of months, I'll be working on the next series, so stay tuned. Derive is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Nick Ford. Special thanks to Elida, Tom, and Tyler for their insight and great conversation in this episode. Music in this episode is by Lonnie Smith and by Lily Hyatt. Derive's theme song is by Miracle Fortress. As usual, check him out. You can find more information about Derive and find the first three episodes on Tumblr at deriveaudio.tumblr.com. Stay tuned for the next series of Derive, Thanks for listening. Every